the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And what a pleasure to welcome back one of my favorite public servants. We Arizonans are lucky to have him as our own. He is representing Arizona's 6th Congressional District, but partly federal, partly national. He represents a lot more than that throughout the country. He is David Schweikert. David, how are you, sir? <laughs> you are always far too kind to me. I'm not far too kind. I am not. I do a good imitation, an impersonation of you, though. I do have a good Oh, oh no, that's terrifying. Do I no, dare ask? No, it's all right. It's all right. Well, that's no, why I've it, asked you to guest host where, the is show. Is this where you make fun of me for saying you're <laughs> no, not cynical enough? No, no, no. Seth, it's that, but you have to go deeper. Yeah, Seth, that's it's true. not it's, – well, it's, it's bigger than that. How am I doing? <laughs> and and, and you, you and I have talked in the past. Yeah. But for the listeners, they need to understand. I actually believe sort of true conservative talk radio is intellectually several steps ahead of anything else you're ever going to see on, on cable television or those things. And we should treat those people who are willing to listen to conservative talk radio um, – with that sort of detail and respect because they're, they're they're obviously smart and they want to know more than just sort of the and it's uh, a, you're the, absolutely the, the right and we no you're get. absolutely yeah. right you're absolutely right and it's a great format also for us we behind the microphones to learn too because we're talking to the smartest people in the country you know out there doing things, not locked into these uh, soundproof walled rooms. You're absolutely right, David. Absolutely. David, when I, when I think of you, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, there are two things I think of you that you represent, constitutionalism and fiscal responsibility, and one could argue that's the same thing. But if I can get away with saying that right off the top, does it concern you on the first, if I'm right in describing you that way, does it concern you when the president says he's looking into mask mandates across the country and to overrule governors? Oh, but they're already um, – this administration has basically shredded the Constitution. They've also shredded the law. They've shredded tradition and precedent. I mean, these are the folks who used to attack Donald Trump for being so disruptive. Um, the real difference is if you go to our local paper, to traditional media, you're hearing none of what right. they're doing. And, and, and it's much – it's much bigger, you see, yep. back to our previous, yep. than just the mask mandate. You bet. The administration are playing games where they want to execute all sorts of rules and regulations. They're supposed to do cost-benefit anal- uh, cost analysis. What they're doing is just saying, yeah, we say it costs zero. And you ask them for, well, can you give me the study and the research and the deep? No, we just decided it was zero. Mm-hmm. But you obviously did math and said, no, we just decided it was zero completely walking away from their legal obligation. Um, they're breaking the law on the border, the, almost by presidential fiat. You know, they're, they're avoiding following the law, and they're avoiding following court orders. That's the thing that, that that's that's the thing that's so odd to me, given you know all the lecturing we have had from them about the lawlessness of the past four years and the breaking of every single norm. 
We have a president who comfortably says his administration can't, let's say, extend the moratorium on renters because of the Supreme Court. And then I wake up and read the next day that son of a gun, the CDC did just that. So it's instead of getting into that they're duplicitous, it's beyond that. You need to understand um, the Democrats believe in power. They believe in political power, and they're going to execute it to every extent they can get away with it. And when they get their hands slapped, they'll say, but our intentions right. were good. Yep. And and as liberals, they are judged by their intentions yep. as they can sell it, yep. not by following the Constitution. That's right. And and that's where I get myself in trouble, and you do too on occasion, <laughs> where, where we try to explain to people saying that may feel good. But that's not what the Constitution says is government's role. Okay, and you and I are going to agree on the next point, because every time we utter that sentence, we immediately have to have not a period but a comma, and here's a better, more compassionate way to do it, is how that sentence ought to end, right? Absolutely. And you're in this sort of moment where we as conservatives have to be very careful not to get caught into... Um, sometimes the, the fun of populism, Yep. because populism is just that. Let's do what the passions of the moment are, yep. not what the um, respect of the Constitution is. You know, and, and understand, populism, um, Bernie Sanders is a socialist, communist populist. Um, Donald Trump actually was not as populist as people tried to make him out to be. In I agree many with that. ways, he was very conservative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes his rhetoric was populist, mm-hmm. but he governed much more constitutionally than I think anyone gives him credit for. I agree with that, too. I, but try to convince some of the our, our friends out there saying, we don't want a country that operates on the whims of the momentary passion, but has respect for... These are the human rights given by God, not by man, and government is supposed to respect that our rights come from God. That's the first lesson in constitutionalism, or should be, and I agree with you on that uh, totally, David. And one of the problems with progressivism, I think, and, and following it rather than constitutionalism, is that you're following um, a, a series of forks in the road. I'll say this, and you don't have to agree, but I said earlier in the show, for all of those that believe that the CDC is effectively Mount Olympus and we have to, you know, or should comport our attention and minds and lives to everything they say, find me one thing they've said that has held for more than two months. And I don't think it has. I don't think you can find me that example. Not one piece of advice or stricture they have given us that is held for longer than two months that we're supposed to follow, as opposed to the eternal truths that uh, time does not change that you just pointed out. Yeah. Um, I'm On the CDC, I actually even have a um, somewhat also different frustration. Okay. Every time they open their mouths, they need to be honest, and that is, this is science, and guess what? Tomorrow we're going to get another data set. We're going to get another level of understanding, and what we're saying today will be wrong tomorrow. The arrogance that is the U.S. 
bureaucracy, and also politicians, is, well, we know everything. Well, remember, what you know the joke. What are the two times in life you think you know everything? <laughs> when you're 13 years old and the day you, after you get elected to Congress. Yeah, right, right. Um, right. But, but it, it, I think we would have much more respect for the powers that be in the CDC if, if they would say, look, this is what we think we know. Yeah, absolutely. Tomorrow it's going to change. So today, you know, we think this is your likelihood. Of oh, absolutely. But the, the, these tomorrow, the, yeah. if the numbers change, stand up and explain, hey, science changed. Yeah. We learned something. We, we found that we had noise in our data. We had this and that. But instead, the arrogance. Yep is, oh, we never want to admit we made a mistake. Which comes with the progressive dream, I have to say, of empowering uh, unelected officials with the power that we have granted or ceded to them or allowed them to take, right? I I agree with you. The humility of saying we think this, this is a novel, it would have put us in so much better stead. But instead, these relativists really told us everything Trump said was wrong and everything we said is right. And time is proving that to be opposite. But this type of leftist arrogance yeah. um, really became part of the U.S. Democrat Party leftist arrogance a hundred some years ago. You know, um, when Wilson became president, there was, well, we're going to do things by the scientific method. But think about what we knew a hundred years ago and what we know today. The classic problem is you make decisions today on what you know and guess what tomorrow you may know something different mm-hmm. you have to make a change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's it, i mean how many military i was just going to say military understands this intuitively of course right every plan yeah. is great until the first bullet is fired right yeah right and uh, in, in that same understanding needs to be the humility of when you're given a position of influence to say, I'm doing my very best, the team around me, we're doing our very best, but we will continue, when we lay our heads on the pillow tonight and we wake up in the morning, we're back at it again, trying to find out if there's more we need to know. Right. I think they are spending more time trying to figure out how to manipulate people than they are trying to figure out how to mitigate this disease. I really do. I really you do. See, and, and I see it as, I think they're defending the time defending their mistakes. Oh, yes, there's a good, the, strong the dollop defending, of that. You bet. Yep. And the defending of the mistakes becomes, you know, demanding people do things that today we know don't make sense. Yep. Maybe they made sense in an earlier data set, but they're still defending the former information. And, and this is, we see this in, in um, universities constantly. Um, you know, I can I can give you almost a couple great examples. Sure, whatever you want. Uh, um, years ago, uh, so you know, I had a professor, and this was over at ASU. Mm-hmm. Um, very smart, very charming, who was making a living off of telling everyone about this concept of peak oil. Uh-huh. The world was going to run <laughs> out yes. of hydrocarbons. Yes, yes, yes. He wrote articles and all sorts of uh, gave speaking tours. He, I mean, he was making real money. You know, with his whole model of when the world would heat its peak oil and then oil production would crash. Mm-hmm. And then science and technology changed. We had horizontal drilling. We had hydraulic fracking and all sorts of other technologies. 
And now, today, we actually have more known hydrocarbon supplies than any time in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, if that professor had had the humility of saying, you know, here's my peak oil theory, but tomorrow there might be a technology that changes it. So even the way we educate our, our, our families, our kids, or those things, the arrogance of thinking we know God's plan tomorrow, we know what the technology breakthrough tomorrow is going to be, I actually will argue is one of our greatest Achilles heels mm-hmm. as a society. Because Congress makes all sorts of bold plans. It's, it's like when Nancy Pelosi wanted to mandate CFL compact fluorescent light bulbs. And just a few months later, there was a crash in the price for LEDs. But on the law was you had to buy compact fluorescent, not LED. There you go. It, it's because of our arrogance. Well, well. There you go. Well, I'm glad you're standing on that wall, David, and I am so grateful for these weekly visits. I really appreciate it. So does the audience. Bless you, sir. I really appreciate it. You are very kind. Send my best to Olivia. I want to see her one of these days. Well, yeah, her second day of school. Excellent. Excellent. Does she have to wear a mask? Nope. Even better. Godspeed, (laughs) David Schweiker. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We really ought to play that Gene Simmons audio again at some point. We've done it recently, so we don't have to do it now, Bill. But we really ought to play it at some point. Is there a greater patriot? Kiss. I was listening to the Adam Carolla show. He was describing two things that in great detail really worried me about needing description. One of them was the band Kiss. And he said it was this band. It was popular in the 70s. I guess there's this great documentary you were telling me about. And they didn't wear makeup originally. Then they started to wear makeup. Do we really not know this? Do we need this remedial? Then he did it with Get Smart, the TV show. He was talking about the premises of Get Smart and how it was control versus chaos and how it began with a theme song. And Maxwell Smart is this agent who goes underground through doors and secrets. Do we need these explanations? And my fear is we do. My fear is this vanishing frame of reference has so plagued us that we can't take for granted any no, anymore that which we used to take as, co- as common knowledge. At a more serious level, this is the thesis uh, and has been the life's work of a professor at the University of Virginia uh, 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 who, who wrote about what he called um, uh, cultural literacy. E.D. Hirsch is his name, cultural literacy. He's a liberal. Classically, uh, no, wrong. I don't like that phrase. He's a he's he's an old school liberal in the sense of, um, in the sense of uh, the kind you don't see very much of anymore. Harold Ford Jr., uh, Joe Lieberman, Alan Dershowitz, uh, maybe Barry Weiss. Funny, there seems to be a significant number of Jewish Americans in that crowd of what you consider old-school Democrats or old-school liberals, the kind of Democrat Joe Biden persuaded us he was to defeat Bernie Sanders, but in fact, we knew he wasn't, campaign conservative govern left is what Democrats have to do to get elected in most cases, in most cases. In cities and states that are too far gone, they don't have to. 
But still, this country is conservative enough that you can't sound like Ilan Omar or Rashida Tlaib and get elected nationally. But you can sound like Ilan Omar in Minnesota, the head of the Democratic Party in Minneapolis, the city, um, the, 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 the chairman of Minneapolis's Democratic Party just wrote an op-ed defending, defending the riots, using the word and saying these were riots because police were rioting against us. This is your Democratic Party in Minnesota. It's also your Democratic Party in California and in a lot of places on the ground. That's why when you think of the kinds of Democrats you wish the party still had, none of them are in office. Joe Lieberman was chased out of office by the Democratic Party of Connecticut. You'll remember he had to run as an independent because they ran Ned Lamont against him. Alan Dershowitz has never been in office. Harold Ford is no longer in office. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Edie Hirsch professor who never ran for office. But the point I was making about E.D. Hirsch is he thought that a lingua, f- uh, a common language, thats I'd rather use that phrase, a common language based on common sets of knowledge is the only thing that keeps societies together. This is why I refer to the progressives sometimes as iconoclasts. Do you know what an iconoclast does? Do you know what iconoclasm is? An iconoclast is a word I learned many, many years ago is a person whose literal job is, whose definition is, to attack institutions, beliefs, history, um, monuments. Iconoclasm is to take down everything that stood before. Now, what kind of government or political philosophy does that sound like to you? Does it sound like Republican forms of government? Does it sound like a democracy? Or does it sound like the man who said until now the role of the philosopher was to understand history and now it is to change it? Hint, hint. The initials are KM. KM are those initials. But if we no longer have a common language and we don't anymore have a respect for common facts, you get what you have now. You get what you have now, a civil war in all but name and all but gun. You have a verbal and intellectual and philosophical civil war. We, until last year, agreed as a country on the most basic, basic fundamental thing, the most basic fundamental thing, when our country was founded. Even that's gone. Even that's gone. And the left has adopted the view of our adversaries who we've defeated. I'm not talking just about Stalinism, and I'm not talking just about the Third Reich and race. I'm talking about the Confederacy. They have embraced the political philosophy of all of it. All of it. And the only way they can get away with it is because not enough people have enough cultural literacy to know that they are the legatees of tyranny and they're trying to foist it on us again. The only people with the ears finely enough tuned to understand it, funny enough, talk to them. Emigres from Eastern Europe or what used to be Eastern Europe and Cuba and Venezuela. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Heroism isn't always fun, but sometimes shots can be heard around the world. Uh, we're going to talk uh, with a mom, mother of four, a professional writer. Some of you may know her at the top of the next hour. Bethany Mandel writes for uh, Federalist, Ricochet, Deseret News, other places, other outlets. But... <clears throat> She was talking about what we're doing to our children, or she will be talking with us based on a column about what we are doing to and with our children in regard to COVID. What are we doing to the normal thinking Americans besides our children? I spent a lot of time talking about the children. There's a silent pandemic going on of people who have to go along to get along up until the point they just can't take it anymore. And I have a feeling that the two places, I'm already beginning to see the signs of it, the two places where we're going to see more and more people frustrated and leaving their work and leaving their jobs and leaving their professions are in the areas we really need the best the most. Healthcare, and we're already hearing about nurses quitting because of mandates, vaccine mandates that they don't want to take. Healthcare workers, nurses, frontline workers, who we once upon a time were told to respect, and teachers. Teachers, who once upon a time we didn't even need to say deserved our respect. So respected a profession was it. So respected of a profession was it. And for the good teachers, they still maintain that. That's the power of a good or great teacher. They are still respected. But the profession's taking a hit. It's taking a hit. It's something now akin to lawyers. Some are very good as a profession. They've done a lot of damage to this country. A lot of damage. One hero who had to sacrifice herself, and I hope it's a shot heard around the world, is Laura Morris. She was speaking at the Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia at an open comment meeting at a school board yesterday. I don't know if you've seen the video or heard the audio. I try not to play things that have saturated prior to our going on air. I try not to unless, unless it is so powerful that it deserves repetition. I am such a believer in the power of repetition over the important things. I say it as a one-off, quoting Dennis Prager, that repetition is the essence of teaching or pedagogy, but it, nothing could be more true. I can give you example after example of things I say on this show that require five or six or even more airings before someone catches it. And I have to tell you, I have listened to speakers having to listen to them eight or nine or ten times till I get it sometimes. Well, listen to Laura Morris talking to her school board yesterday. My name is Laura Morris. I have been a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools for five years and a teacher for 10. In that time, I have learned so much, being on the cutting edge of educational technology and working with a diverse population of students that I have loved. This year, I have the privilege to follow my amazing fourth graders up to fifth, and I have been excited about this all summer. On the other hand, this summer, I have struggled with the idea of returning to school. 
knowing that I'll be working yet again with a school division that despite its shiny tech and flashy salary, promotes political ideologies that do not square with who I am as a believer in Christ. After reading about your lack of consideration for the growing population of concerned citizens in this division, clearly evidenced by this empty room tonight where you shut the doors to the public as well as the emails sent by the superintendent last year reminding me that a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life. Going so far as to send a form to my colleagues and I encouraging us to fill it out if we hear one another speaking against the controversial policies being promoted by this school board and adopted in this county. Not only that, but within the last year, I was told in one of my so-called equity trainings that white, Christian, able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that, quote, this has to change. Clearly, you've made your point. You no longer value me or many other teachers you've employed in this county. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. You bet. She will find employment elsewhere. The loss is not to the Loudoun County system. It's to our children in Loudoun County. We're going to have more of it unless we take that seriously now. My friends use them as well. If I endorse a product, I'm going to be telling all my friends and family about it as well as you after I, of course, use it first. Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. By the way, she's right. If your roof is 15 years or older, the underlayment must be checked now. If you have a foam roof that's five years old, or more, you've got to have that inspected and recoded. You get little bubbles or holes otherwise, which means disintegrating, which means water leaks, which means heat, which means all kinds of problems. But for any roof issues, roofing issues you have, new roof, an inspection, a replacement, you name it, any kind, foam or otherwise, Think Trades Unlimited. Better than Think Trades Unlimited, give them a call at 480 one seven seven five, or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. Of course, a plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and with me. Where am I going to next? Mike in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. Yes. Good afternoon, Seth. Good afternoon. The you left off at the bottom of the hour and talking about uh, where our country is and where it's going and stuff. Uh, maybe a small indicator. Uh, for go to antifa.com and then hit enter and tell me where that takes you. Takes you to whitehouse.gov. Bingo. Okay, I'm right. I checked this out a few days ago. Okay, still? Yes. Yeah, okay. th- that's that's that. Now, the, the other day on Monday, you were talking to Bra- uh, Brandon Weikert. Yeah. You were talking about Afghanistan. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, I've been interested in Afghanistan for a long time. There was an interesting book. It was called Damn Few by Rourke Denver. He had started off in the Navy, became a Navy SEAL, worked his way up through, and then ended up rewriting a lot of their information. So, uh, And his, his premise was kind of like 
Brandon's as to where we should have gone in there with special forces, kicked the Taliban out, turned it over to the government, and split. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what that conclusion of the book points out. Uh, another part, uh, there's this thing, it's called, uh, I guess, SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R. Okay. It stands for the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. Okay. Uh, and there's there's a whole bunch of different parts of it, of what, and the part of what I have there, the initial ones were made in September 2016, and it talks about corruption and conflict, lessons from the U.S. experience in Afghanistan. And in their introduction, that talks about our analysis reveals that corruption substantially undermined the U.S. mission in Afghanistan from the very beginning of Operation Enduring Freedom. We found that corruption cut across all aspects of the reconstruction effort, jeopardizing process progress made in security, rule of law, governance, and economic growth. We conclude that failure to effectively address the problem means U.S. reconstruction programs, at best, will continue to be subverted by systemic corruption and, at worst, will fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that. That's a little bit for for those that want a little bit of uh, background information on what's really going on in Afghanistan instead of just some headline piece. Well, listen, I mean, there's uh, there are so many heartbreaking things about Afghanistan. So many, so many. Right, Mike. And and I'll tell you, I, I I began I began knowing this, I should say, that this was going to be a bog as early as 04 when we helped them write their constitution for the people of Afghanistan, which constitution has nothing to do with helping nation-build, but the constitution which creates another Islamist state. The U.S. helped them do that. The U.S. helped them write a constitution that dedicates itself to the religion of of Islam and political Islamism. That's the United States helped them with in 04. Once you yep. start there, you tell me where the where the out is. <laughs> I don't know how you reconstruct I don't know how you reconstruct a society that we bombed into the stone age by giving them a political philosophy and a constitution that's about 10 years better than the stone age. Yeah, there you go. You can't. You you can bomb them back in, but can you bomb them up from? Well, that's anyway. always the argument we have. Uh, did we bomb them out of the Stone Age or into it? I like to say into it because I think they were just that backward. Yes. Yeah. There were there were certain things. In other words, we on. bombed them up to the Stone Age. Correct. Right. And and you know sometimes all this stuff about. Como and Afghanistan, yes. and I'm not saying these things don't have, or the the mask and the vaccines and COVID and everything, but one of the things that I noticed that seems to be really missing, and because I live kind of down here towards the southwest border, that these are things that I noticed that there's nobody really talking about. They We hear about a whole bunch of people in COVID over in McAllen, Texas. Yeah, yeah. Seven, just, se- <laughs> 1,500 out of 7,000, exactly, yeah. 
released. Yeah, but just within the last week, yep. they stopped an 18-wheeler yep. that had, uh, it was like over 2,000 pounds. It was like $73 million in meth. Right. Uh, there was a convenience store up in Portland, Oregon, that the guy's been in a little nondescript convenience store, not a big name brand like a Circle K or a U-Totem or anything. U-Totem? There aren't any U-Totems anymore. Do you still have U-Totems? God I'm bless you, Mike. Myself. I'm dating myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but he, got, he got busted for laundering millions of dollars uh, for the cartels. And then just recently, there was a woman, and she was working, I think, with the Sinaloa cartel. Yeah. She had gotten convicted last year, but within the last week or two, she just got sentenced to like 23 years in prison and here in the United States. And I guess there was also uh, a Border Patrol chase up on I-10 just earlier. Well, you're right, you're right Mike, in, in pointing out these things. You, I, sorry, I have to hit the break here, but I, I don't mean to cut you off. I could do these stories all day. I wish I could. David Schweikert's right. If you want to know what's going on in America, you cannot listen to the mainstream. You have to listen to this because everything you said is true. It's verifiable. It's just not reported. <laughs> My producer, Bill, and I just started a great musical trivia game. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and you don't want to miss uh, Bethany Mandel coming up. First-time guest. She's been writing a storm on Twitter and elsewhere. She has a column in, De in the uh, Deseret News, and uh, which is uh, based out of Utah. And she writes, obviously, for a lot of online uh, uh, journals from the Federalist to Ricochet, which I love as well. That's John Gabriel's outfit. Um, <laughs> for all the attacks on Florida right now and Governor DeSantis, are you aware that the CDC yesterday had to update its COVID data for Florida because it got it wrong? It got COVID infections wrong in Florida? I was telling you, you can't take what the CDC says for two months. They misreported Florida's infection rate by overcounting it in the thousands, overcounting it in the thousands, because they don't understand what a lot of states have been doing when they put their data together, and which, if you listen to this show, you would have learned from Lewis Hallman a long time ago, a year ago which is sometimes the states release data in tranches. And if they report on a certain tranche on a given day, it doesn't mean that day that many people were infected, tested positive, or hospitalized. By the way, by the way, just a question about the way they're counting breakthrough cases. I was reading a New York Times analysis of breakthrough cases. The New York Times just did a great service by its headline, See the Data on Breakthrough COVID Hospitalizations and Deaths by State. But, you know, I always like to read the methodology of the CDC and the New York Times, the small print. Small print can be big print. Anyone who goes to law school knows not to, is taught not to ignore the footnotes. Footnotes can be massively important. Let me quote the New York Times. Some hospitalizations and death records lacked 
vaccine status altogether. Data for individuals who were not fully vaccinated includes partially vaccinated people, unvaccinated people, and people with unknown vaccination status. What? Why are you reporting vaccinated or unvaccinated when your sample includes people with unknown vaccination status? Don't let the facts get in the way of the story. That's how. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.